Hey, Attached to Hygiene listeners, Jack here to mention that we want to hear from you. Just head to the show notes for the link to our listener survey and get access to five documents that will help you grow your knowledge around sustainability in the absorbent hygiene industry. And now, on to the episode. If you listen to our most recent episode, you now have a nice overview of the current America's market and how it is expected to grow in the coming years. Plus, you have some insights into user habits and preferences in the region, and how commoditization is impacting both producers and customers. But the question now is, how are all of those factors impacting producers in the region and their suppliers? And how are they impacting consumers and changing their expectations around products and how they buy them? Luckily, Bostic is here to help. Welcome to Attached to Hygiene, the podcast that enables you to grow your knowledge and influence in the absorbent hygiene industry. My name is Jack Hughes, and my mission is to help you, the absorbent hygiene article producer, design and produce the best possible products to meet the needs of your customers. On today's episode, we're continuing our conversation with Augusto Kiros and Kelly Rieger. They'll continue to draw on their experience and relationships throughout the region to share insights on the challenges being faced by producers and what they are seeing when it comes to consumer trends. All of this will help you be ready to meet the needs of absorbent hygiene product users in the Americas. You mentioned the, the challenges that producers are starting to face around commoditization in this case, but there are certainly other challenges that the, the article producers are facing, along with their material suppliers like Bostic in the current economic and world environment. And so, Augusta, I'll start with you on this. Can you dive a little deeper into what some of the challenges the producers and their suppliers are seeing in the market right now? Sure, Jack. It wouldn't be a surprise for anybody out there that the logistic challenges worldwide and the increase of any of every type of raw material have affected all the producers and have affected us as well. So it has been kind of a nightmare in the last 24 months for everybody in the industry. So getting raw materials from overseas to a local factory on time with the right quality at acceptable price, it has been a big challenge. So we are all in this boat together. We try to navigate this complexity to get raw materials on time and to produce on time. And I understand how difficult it has been for our customers, the article producers, to overcome this situation. It is unprecedented time today. Again, something we have not seen in the last decade or more, but this is the time we're living. So we need to go through this, continue to be creative because how we together need to serve the market. Yeah, and, yeah. and certainly in, in North America, you know, it's no different than what Augusto was saying, you know, that wow. we're all in this boat that's been on these rocky seas for two plus years. And it seems like just when we think we might be getting over the hurdle, something else, you know, is thrown at us, you know, whether it's the war uh, in Ukraine or or whatever the case might be. And 
I think, too, when I thought about, you know, the pressures on our customers recently here in uh, North America, or at least the U.S. specifically, Walmart put out a commercial that specifically states that they understand the, you know, inflationary effects and the, the rising costs for consumers. And so, therefore, they are pushing their suppliers, you know, the the diaper producers, food, you know, all those things to keep their prices as low as possible. So Walmart can keep their prices as low as possible for the consumer. And, and of course, as someone who, you know, has a raw material that goes into a hygiene article, immediately, I think about the pressures of that, you know, Walmart or any store is putting on their, their suppliers to keep their costs low, sometimes even saying this is as much as we'll pay for a bag of diapers, you know, so figure it out. And then we have to work with our our customers to make that equation work, right? And can make that equation work in a number of different ways. You know, certainly everything keeps going up and, and we have to keep the lights on, you know, as do our, our customers. But, you know, we can help improve efficiencies. You know, we can we can try and help with, you know, logistical issues and and just a number of variety of ways um, to try and reduce costs and and keep the equation of you know the financial equation working. So it's certainly been a very challenging couple of years and will continue to be so. But through partnerships with our customers and such is how we we get it done and, and come out okay and on the other side. So overall I think the the industry has taken on these challenges you know, with open arms and open eyes in terms of how to figure it out. And and I think, you know, we'll all just continue to do so. That is such an interesting strategy by a retailer to to essentially pass the buck, if you will, or pressure yeah. their customers and by extension, a company like us to, to keep prices lower. And when in some cases, there's only so much we can do to do that. But that is that is a very interesting approach. Yep. With those the kind of the raw material challenges and, you know, profitability concerns and and everything that you both just mentioned, I'm curious, are are we seeing kind of a move towards localization where being able to supply factories or production sites that are producing hygiene products closer to, you know, where they're producing and, and being able to you know, whether it ship be shipping supplies to them from the same country or at least the same region, has that become a priority for producers? I think, Jackie, it will depend. You know, in Latin America, it's a very vast region. So I would say, for example, we have uh, the group of Brazilian producers serving just Brazil. They do not export. The country is quite large itself. So they are focused to even one specific region or two specific regions within Brazil, just to give you an example of the proportion of the of their strategy. But there is, for example, a hub in Colombia. So every single producer of uh, hygiene articles are located in Colombia, and they serve that region, you know, Colombia, Ecuador, Venezuela, part of Central America. So that is different. In Mexico, we have producers serving the local market, but also exporting to other countries. So it varies, but it's quite interesting. Yeah, and I don't I don't think we've seen necessarily a huge shift in North America. I think for the most part, a lot of production for the products that are used in North America have been produced here for, you know, for as long as I've been 
at Bostick and, and longer. So I don't think there's been a shift because it's already been that way. But certainly a recent example of, and I don't think we could call, and this is the only one I could think of off the top of my head, one site opening up a trend. But Ontex recently just purchased a site here to open up a, a baby manufacturing site to produce locally in the U.S. for the U.S. Again, I, you know, I don't think we could call one, and, and maybe there's more and I'm misremembering, but so certainly they have decided to take on that you know, that frame of mind of producing for this market in this market. And I believe everybody else, for the most part, who is producing in this market for this market has been for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, I think that kind of shows that despite one, it's interesting that at least as of now, we're not seeing, we are seeing some trends towards localization, but not major trends. There's, I mean, there's still obviously plenty of international trade within our industry that would, uh, and even intercontinental trade that they're working within the the challenges of, of the current shipping and logistics environment. But Kelly, to your point, I think back when Ontex announced that I was, I was a little surprised kind of knowing that you know, knowing a lot of the stuff we just talked about, that it's a, you know, North America is a pretty saturated market. It's a pretty mature market. You know, the birth rates are declining or at least not increasing at a, a significant rate. It's a market with potential, but it's also a very competitive market, but obviously one that a company like Ontech still saw a lot of value in being on the ground producing products for it. So I thought that that was really interesting and probably says a lot about the competitiveness and the the continuing competitiveness in the U.S. market and the North American market moving forward. Yep, totally agree. And one other challenge I wanted to touch on, which is something we're seeing in particularly in Europe, but I know Rocky and Tina, our colleagues, just mentioned it a little bit in the uh, for the APAC market is regulations. And we, we had an episode on regulations, particularly around period products in North America. And I'm just curious, you know, Augusto, we'll, we'll start with you on this one. Are we seeing any regulatory trends around AHPs in the region that could have either a, an immediate impact or potentially a long-term impact on products or product transparency or things like that? Well, Jack, I see that Latin America is very far from what Europe is doing, for example. The answer is no. In Latin America, we are not seeing that level of regulation or entities pushing for more transparency, not yet. Our customers comply with local authorities or local regulation, etc. But thinking in the market side of this, we are still very far from other regions. And I do not see that coming shortly. So this is something that Latin America needs to do better in terms of transparency. And, you know, like these particular entities like the Europeans have in place, Latin America is far from that. And I would say that this is something that, in my opinion, North America much more closely mirrors Latin America than Europe. I think the the drivers in Europe just my opinion, is more because there's so much more government regulation on products and such over in Europe, obviously in North America and especially in the U.S., which I'm, you know, most familiar. We have, you know, the FDA and other, you know, government agencies that overlook these type of products and such like that. But in terms of imposing 
regulations like those that we've seen in Europe and such like that. We just are not there in North America. Same thing along the lines of imposing like sustainability efforts and those kind of things. You know, certainly we're we're farther away from that than than Europe as well. I think in general in North America we want to you know be more sustainable and want to have quote unquote you know keep moving the bar for safer products and more transparency and those sorts of things but I don't foresee there being any huge shifts in that anytime soon just because I think in order for there to be huge shifts it would have to be either leaders in the market make the jump and therefore everyone else has to follow or government would have to step in to make huge changes. And again, that's that's just my opinion from, you know, from being in the industry and, and the customers that I, I talk to. The other big thing that could push it would be if retailers pushed it. I haven't seen that big step yet either. So I think I think in North America, we're, we're waiting for that to happen before we see a, a big shift. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it, I talked about this a little bit with Jane Wishneff on the episode that she joined around regulations in, in North America, or at least specifically in the U.S. And as of now, I mean, states are left, it's left up to states to make those decisions. And so, you know, one, two, three states, I think two two states as of now are, are doing something and with more in the pipeline, but certainly not unanimous across the board, which lends its own sense of challenges in the United States in particular. And so that's, you know, certainly a little bit of a different situation to, you know, a place like Europe where you have the European Union that can, you know, with lots of input, but help dictate rules for multiple countries as opposed to, you right. know, a couple of states. So, yeah, that's... Um, a lot of differences there and kind of alluded to this or talked about it specifically, Kelly, the the old like chicken and egg dilemma of, you know, are retailers and producers going to do stuff if customers aren't demanding it at a high scale? You know, are they only going to do it with regulations or government agencies requiring it or because the only thing that's going to drive costs down for some of these things is particularly in the sustainability sphere is by, you know, more demand. <laughs> and, you know, it, it kind of is, are consumers going to demand it? Or right. are retailers going to demand it? Are producers just going to do it because they they know it's the right thing to do and that they know that, that that's where the market's going to go? Or is the government going to step in and demand it? <laughs> and, but right now, it's, it's kind of this like gray area where none of those four groups have specifically kind of taking the step. And so you kind of have little pockets of things happening or, or you know, some products in the market being sustainability focused or more forward about ingredient transparency, um, but certainly not completely across the board yet. Correct. Yeah, very, very complex. So I know we're, we're coming up towards the end of our discussion here. I want to be cognizant of the both of your time. And so Based off all that, I want to touch on kind of the consumer needs and consumer trends as we do with with all these episodes. And here at Bostic, we lump those into five categories, or we call them the five C's of convenience, comfort, confidence, consistency, and cost. And we've already talked about cost a little, but I do want to, we're not going to touch on all five, but I do want to touch on a couple. And I'll start with convenience. And I know both of you, this is one that kind of in our pre-show discussions was was really interesting because it's a trend we're seeing 
across the globe, but one that is maybe for me in particular, and I know Kelly, you as a new mom found it, found it a little confusing and interesting as well. And we'll start with convenience, but particularly around the, the growth in pants and um, our colleagues in Asia, Tina and, and Rocky kind of um, were preaching the, the virtues and the benefits of, of pants diapers. And we're seeing growth in pants diapers across the board and those getting popular for younger and younger ages. But Kelly, I, I know you have an, an opinion on, on this as a new mom. Um, so I wonder if you could talk about the, the growth in pants from a convenience standpoint. Yeah, certainly. So, yeah, so as as Jack alluded to, I'm a new mom. My son will be 10 months old in less than a week here. And right now, my only experience with pants, you know, training pant type such is the swim diaper, because that's pretty much the only form you can find a swim diaper in is a pant form. And I do not understand why you would want to change your child's, you know, four or five, six times a day in a training pant versus just an open diaper that has, you know, stretchier tabs or however the diapers that you purchase are, <laughs> are made. I cannot imagine like sliding a pant onto a wiggly 10 month old, you know, five or six times a day, especially then taking that, taking one off that's been used. So <laughs> I don't understand this trend for growth in pants at all. Certainly I could see the many advantages of that once, you know, your child is older and and you're using, you know, training pants instead of diapers and those sorts of things. But I personally am a huge fan of the open diaper. And while it's still very difficult to change my my moving, wiggling 10-month-old baby boy, I cannot imagine trying to, you know, get like, like I said, my, my only experience is a swim diaper, which we do frequently now. And I can't imagine doing that every time. So, Certainly, there must be benefits that, you know, other regions see since they are growing significantly in terms of share size for the the younger babies and and infants and children. But I personally do not understand this. (laughs) That's a good point, Kilian. And let me help you with some examples. When when I talk to my colleagues in Latin America, certainly pants is coming. That's a trend. Um, Just to put everybody in the right context, in Brazil, Unicharm arrived with pants several years ago, and they set the new standard. You know, the Japanese culture, you, Jack, talk with our colleagues there, and we all know how important and famous is uh, the usage of pants in, in Asia. So in Brazil, they started to bring this Japanese concept, and it has been working well. But in the rest of the region, pants has been seen as a good complement to the portfolio. And some examples, Kelly's, when we talk to to the moms out there is they tend to use pants when the kids is older, probably two years or 18 months, something like that. So that is also a fact that moms are working today. So they are postponing the potty training. And this is why they're wearing pants these days. So this is why we are seeing producers making pants in just the the large size or XL size or XXL sizes, you know, for really big toddlers. So <laughs> pants are coming in Latin America, but not in every single size. They are more trained to a specific niche. For example, when we talk to some moms and dads out there, they say, okay, we will put pants only for overnight use. So they buy a bag of pants 
that will last for 30 days, something like that. And they continue continue using both open diaper and pants. No, I was just going to say that that makes sense, especially for like the older, older kids, but not yet potty trained. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, no, I was going to say the exact same thing. The the older kids are even, I've, I've heard of the overnight where, you know, pants, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, Tina, she's a relatively new mom as well. And we've talked to other colleagues in Asia and this has, you know, been even four or five years ago when I started at Bostic, they make it sound so easy. Oh, you just, you hold them up, you slide the pants up and it's, it's super easy, you know, no matter how young they are. And uh, they, I don't know, maybe they must have some trick to doing it that we don't quite understand. Cause I agree, Kelly, getting, getting one on and off. I don't have kids, but the idea of getting a squirming little, you know, one-year-old or, or less into a pant or out of a pant without causing a mess seems, seems complicated. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we need a like demonstration sometime. (laughs) So pants are are one of the the big trends in convenience. I know both of you had ideas on a couple of the other C's that we've got. So I want to be cognizant of time and move on to confidence here. So Augusto, what are we seeing as far as some trends in the in the sphere of confidence that uh, are happening in the market? Thank you, Jack. Well, in Latin America, for example, I will bring up the core design of a diaper. For many years, the industry has been reducing thickness of the core. However, in Latin America, moms are still hesitant to adopt thinner cores. So when you ask, okay, what do they prefer? There are still moms that they were uh, educated to see, no, you know, the, the bulkier, the better, blah, blah, blah. So that has been a challenge for our article producers to really introduce and penetrate the concept of thinner core. It is happening, yes. Higher superabsorber polymer is present, yes. But it has taken longer than the industry might have expected for Latin America. So there is an education. For example, when we talk to uh, some users in the region, they say, okay, when I got my first kit, you know, I always prefer a bulky type of core. But when my second child, well, I have uh, some experience and I understand, for example, the thinner core, blah, blah, blah. So it is a long process still in Latin America to really see the adoption of thinner core. So this is why we see brands in Latin America still offering different concepts of core. You know, there are channel cores out there. There are cores with different designs, etc. But in summary, it is taking longer compared to other regions that have adopted super thin core. That was something that came up in our discussion with Natalia Richer and Heidi Beatty as well, was Natalia mentioned the, the still the preference for thicker cores in, in Latin America. And I, I thought that was surprising. I think the rationale makes sense and it, it's about that education process, but that was something that was definitely surprising to me. <laughs> Kelly, are we seeing any trends in cores in, in North America? I mean, certainly thinner core has been adopted and there's a, a push for that. I, I think for the most part, it's been adopted. There, there would have to be another big step change, which I don't think the market and the consumers are calling for. Again, I think the thinner cores that most of our producers have achieved here in, in the U.S. are working well for their consumers. I think of it a lot like... Um, Femcare, where you have, you know, your ultra thins, you have your maxis and kind of everywhere in between. And there's always going to be consumers that want 
all those kinds of cores from, you know, the thickest kind, just because maybe that makes them more comfortable or it just in general is more comfortable for them to, you know, the thinnest for whatever their reasons are for adopting that. And I think in, you know, that can be related to baby as well, where for many different reasons, you know, the parents believe that a core should be this thickness for these reasons or or thinner for these reasons. And, you know, so I think there will always be a desire from the consumer, you know, to have options, but certainly thinner is more popular and is definitely the trend here in North America. But I think, you know, we're pretty thin now here in North America in general in baby. And so to go even thinner, there probably have to be a technology jump or, or something. And then again, it would be, does the consumer want that? So, so I think in general, that's, that's where we're at now for, for North America. And Kelly, yeah. I think you brought, we have a good example of the femcare segment. We have not talked about it today because the lack of time, and I know we are running out of time, Jack, but you know, in the confidence category, one of the things that we have learned in Latin America is the preferences are very different for mm-hmm. a woman in Brazil, in Argentina, or in Mexico. So this thickness of the core in a diaper also relates to, for example, the thickness of a femper pad. But the same for the position in adhesive. There is a complete different need for yeah. a girl in Brazil or Colombia versus another country. So this is why we need to continue learning and adapting because, for example, they are expecting different things based on their education or their behavior, et cetera. Totally agree. Yeah. And that was one of the things that came up in uh, our discussion with Jan O'Regan from Cotton Incorporated. She talked about some of the preferences for period products in different regions and the preference for tampons versus pads in certain regions or, or vice versa. And yeah, I think that that was something that's pretty eye-opening to me that me, I was probably taken for granted just assuming that, you know, people all across the world could see the benefits of a specific type of product or a specific thickness of products when there's a lot of cultural and experience, not bias, but experience preferences that are that are impacting what kind of products people want to use. And, and it's interesting how different that can be from country to country and from different parts of a region. Yeah. Right. And, and generational too, right? So every aspect of, you know, of a consumer has an effect on what type of product they prefer. So again, one of the many things that make this industry so interesting. Definitely. The other aspect, if you allow me very quickly, Jack, is the confidence in confidence is skin sensitivity. You know, moms are taking care for of their babies and they are looking for softer substrates or they are looking for more neutral type of baby diapers out there. So, you know, in Latin America, another example is that there are countries where moms are putting special attention to skin sensitivity. Uh, they are putting creams and lotions. I'll just give you a particular example. In Colombia, they are crazy about the usage of creams. <laughs> Super high amounts of creams are put in baby butts in order to protect for for some irritation, etc. So in terms of confidence, there is also a, an important variable for, for the article producers to have a more neutral type of substrate or, or the, the right uh, combination of 
ingredients that will not cause any effect or negative effect on, on mums. And also, you know, these days, everything can go out rapidly in social media. So I think the skin sensitivity is a very important aspect that the market is putting attention these days. And I, I agree with you 100%, Augusto. I think I think consumers are just more knowledgeable too about you know different ways to keep their their skin, whether you know it's for for fempad usage or or their moms or dads and you know using adult incontinence or and then obviously babies too. I think consumers are starting to know what breathable means and what certain creams and lotions can do for skin health and those kind of things as well. So packaging and actually, you know, implementing things that can improve skin health for hygiene articles is something that resonates with with consumers. So yeah, I, I completely agree. Right. And also you brought a good important segment, the other incontinent continence uh, segment is connecting to what we just talked about uh, wearing pants. The pants in the adult segment is growing in Latin America, but we all understand it's a different type of pants. So we are seeing an important growth in different colors of the outer covers and different elastic threads in the adult pants. The type of uh, software that are being used in these diaper pants for adult incontinence. So that also plays a, a good role of understanding and developing the right adult inco pants for the new users. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know we we just had some some interviews on from incontinence users actually. And that was some of the some of the topics that were discussed. And we talked a little bit about this in a menstrual health episode, but I, I'm curious how much of the the changes and the demand for changes in adult incontinence products specifically around comfort or style is coming from this this increased consumer education and, and awareness as you talked about, Kelly for baby products or for period products. And then as those parents or you know people who menstruate transition into the phase of potentially needing to use incontinence products, their standards are much higher now and they're demanding you know better fitting or more stylish or more breathable products. And that's gonna continue to drive trends in that area. And you know we may see some sort of commoditization of those products down the line where you have really affordable but you know really good high performing comfortable breathable products in in that space. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean if a parent is buying breathable skin sensitive and you know, all for skin health products for their babies and you know women are focusing on femcare products that you know provide good skin health and such why shouldn't they demand the same thing when they're older or are have become a bit incontinent and you know want the the same skin health for themselves you know at that point in their life too they know that it can be done so and we also see a huge trend in you know the the use of this kind of hybrid femcare product light incontinence product where you know, clearly the the skin health and the comfort that we've come to expect with femcare is being bridged into this light incontinence area. So why can't that take a step then into pants and such as well? So yeah, I think that's a an excellent point, Jack. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that continues to evolve. And I think you know we'll continue to see technology 
and innovation evolutions in baby and baby care and, and period products or menstrual health products. But there's a, a lot of potential in adult incontinence as well, especially as what we talked about way back at the beginning of the interview with aging populations across the globe and more yeah. people are going to need these products and mm-hmm. it's going to definitely drive innovation there. Well, I, I want to be cognizant of both of your time. And uh, I know we could definitely, there's plenty of stuff for us to keep talking about. And we may have to bring you back for another episode down the line to talk about how things have changed and anything we haven't been able to talk about. But I just want to thank both of you for your time and offering your perspectives and experience in the market. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, this is this has been great. Thanks for, for having me. And this has been fun. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. And as anybody out there participating in this industry, we can talk hours and hours about these articles. Could be adult incontinence, baby diapers, period products. It's fantastic. So thank you for having me. Thank you both. So there you have it. After these last two episodes, you now have a pretty in-depth overview of the Americas market, enabling you to respond to the changes and trends you heard about and continue to meet the changing needs of your customers. And lucky for you, the insights don't end there. After our conversation with Kelly and Augusto, Augusto mentioned that he had some additional information that he had gathered, but was unable to share in the interview. So I hopped on another call with him and he shared an extra 15 minutes of insights on the Latin America market. So we'll be sharing that with all of you next week. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, We're offering all of our listeners a chance to get five different documents covering several aspects of sustainability in the absorbent hygiene industry in exchange for taking our listener survey. You'll get a glossary, an additional terminology document, two white papers, and an overview of eco-labels sent from me directly to your inbox. Filling out the survey will take you less than one minute and would really help us to continue to grow the show into something our listeners will love. Just head to the show notes, click the survey link, and answer four questions. That's it. We really appreciate your time and continued support of Attached to Hygiene. Attached to Hygiene is brought to you by Bostic and is hosted by me, Jack Hughes. It is produced and edited by me with the help of Paul Andrews, Michelle Tonkovitz, Emery Chernus, and Nikki Ackerman at Green Onion Creative. Our theme music is by Jonathan Boyle. We'd like to extend a special thank you to this episode's guests, Kelly Riegert and Augusto Quiros. You can find Kelly on LinkedIn, or you can feel free to address emails to either of them at our hygiene at email address. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.